Hi, this is Marjorie DeHay, writer-director of the film Bottle Monster. Hello, this is Paul Overacker, producer of the film Bottle Monster, and you're listening to The Graveyard Show. Welcome to another edition of the Graveyard Show podcast. I'm your caretaker, and the graveyard is open. Well, I hope all of you are staying safe, healthy, and sane during these crazy times. Well, come on inside, and let's take our minds off of the outside world for just a little while. Because as you heard at the top of the show, I'm going to be joined by Marjorie DeHay and Paul Overacker to discuss their new independent horror film, Bottle Monster, the next evolution of horror. We're going to talk about their film in just a moment. Full disclosure, Paul and I spent some time in the work trenches back in the day, um, and it's been a while, so it was nice reconnecting with him. I saw that he had uh, produced this horror movie and thought I would reach out to him and uh, have him on the show. And uh, he said he and Marjorie would be happy to join me, so it's great having them both on the program. Uh, this is actually going to be my first time meeting Marjorie, and surprisingly enough, we have a common connection. Stay tuned to find out who that might be. It really truly is a small world. But before I get to all that, it's been uh, quite a busy uh, few weeks here in the Graveyard Show podcast. Uh, since resuming original interviews, I've been... Uh, hard at work planning and uh, reaching out to people, and uh, the response has been great. I've been banking some new interviews, and uh, just recently I uploaded a new promo for the show that you can find on our YouTube channel, Graveyard Show Podcast. Uh, I think you'll get a kick out of it. Uh, currently working on a second promo as well, but uh, uh, I gotta calm down a little bit. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm working off of. Uh, uh, I think I'm working off um, all this adrenaline uh, from getting back into the interview game again. It's been a lot of fun. Plus, uh, I'm one of those people who, uh, when they uh, get the extras on a on a Blu-ray or on digital, uh, I'm always watching uh, not just the trailers, but I'm a big fan of radio spots and uh, TV spots back in the day. Uh, very effective. And uh, I just I just love them. So I think that's what's gotten me also in the uh, promo mood. If you'd like to get in touch with the program, you can email me at gyspodcast at gmail.com. Gyspodcast at gmail.com. G is in grave, Y is in yard, S as in shoe. Gyspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, recently, someone reached out to the program. And uh, it's another independent filmmaker. And uh, he wanted to uh, reach out to say he was a, a filmmaker, would love to be on the program. And uh, that's going to happen. So uh, that'll be on my next podcast. Uh, I'll get into that, though, on the other side of this interview. Uh, speaking of independent filmmakers, you know, the show has always believed in uh, helping out independent filmmakers, getting the word out on their uh, films. Uh, it's always been a primary goal of the Graveyard Show podcast. Um, even back in the day from 2009-10, uh, primary focus was always on independent filmmakers. Um, 
uh, because you know it's hard it's hard enough making a movie uh, but then you try to get that finished product out there uh, into the world for people to see and that could almost be even harder to some degree and I'm not just talking about those of you that are here in the United States uh, I know that there are some of you uh, listening uh, in England Ireland Canada España Australia uh, that includes you guys too uh, back in the day uh, I did have people reach out to me from around the world to promote stuff. So please, uh, forums open to you guys as well. Uh, just know that this podcast is every few weeks. So if you have something coming up, get it to me sooner than later, and I'll be more than happy to uh, promote it on the program. Remember, folks, it's, uh, it's free promo. All right, well, as you hear in the background, two new graves are being dug. And when you hear that happening in the background, it only means one thing. My guests have arrived. On the other side of this interview, I'm going to uh, let all of you know how you can have a L.A. movie experience without actually having to be in the City of Angels. In the meantime, it's time to get to work. Bottle Monster is a new independent horror film about an alcoholic mother and her young son who end up in a strange house where the mother is forced to face her own demons when both are confronted with real-life monsters. Marjorie DeHay is the writer, director, and producer of the film, and Paul Overacker is the producer, DP, and editor of the film, and both of them join me right now in the graveyard. Welcome to the show. Well, it's great having you both on. Um, Marjorie, I'm going to start with you first. So um, I've seen the trailers, uh, read the synopsis uh, for the film. It's very intriguing. Um, How did you come up with the storyline for this film? Well, I think that's a really interesting story because I think pretty much everybody has had somebody in their life who has been dependent on alcohol or drugs. And I think, you know, throughout my life, I've had various friends who have been affected and then having become a mom eight years ago, you see everything from a little different perspective. So you see friends with kids who are battling addictions. And then I always like to think about like, well, what scares me? It's like, I think addiction scares everybody. And then monsters scare. I I like the traditional creature features and I feel like horror films have moved away from them a little bit, you know, to do all the ghosts and, you know, things that our spirits, et cetera. So we wanted to kind of go back to what kind of creature would be really scary. And our creature is actually based on a real life creature that exists. Oh, really? Yeah, we had an arachnid handler who actually bought with scorpions. So it was very cool. We had live scorpions on set. Oh, that's always fun. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing nothing like having live scorpions uh, just crawling around. It's like, okay, everybody, watch your step. (laughs) If you see what these things look like, they are extremely, uh, I don't like to say hideous or, you know, but scary looking. And it's like, it's a surprise. We got a couple of children actors in this film. And it's like, they, they, I don't want to say they took to it, but, you know, uh, the main, the hiker who plays the young child, you know, was like, pretty scared of it. But the handler was very... Uh, soothing, and it's like sooner or later, the, the biker started playing with the whip scorpion, like I let it crawl over him, and so it's it's kind of unique. Wow, 
So what I really enjoy about talking to uh, independent filmmakers uh, is learning how they went about the process. Uh, everybody obviously does it differently. Uh, it's great for aspiring filmmakers uh, listening to this uh, to hear about the good and the bad uh, of, of being an independent filmmaker. So, um, Paul, I'll start with you. So how did you begin uh, putting together the cash for the budget and how quickly did you get the ball rolling uh, on getting the movie made? Well, there's two different stories there. Uh, there was a long one. I came to Los Angeles about 20 years ago, and all I wanted to do was make movies. 19 years later, uh, you know, I made a great career in television, you know, multi-camera productions, but uh, film is where I really wanted to be. Um, Marjorie and I have been together for, um, say, 10 years or, or more. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like we, we had a love of film. And it's like we always talk about doing a film, doing a film. She's in a PGA. We're in a couple different societies or, or groups. And we, we've always talked about doing a film. And every time we meet a, a major filmmaker, their advice is just go do it. Um, we were gearing up to do some kind of, we didn't have a script solid, but we were going to do some kind of film noir-ish kind of thing. And it's like this thing came out in Hollywood where there's like only 4% are women directors. Am I right on that? Mm-hmm. That's wow. like, so we, we sort of jumped at that opportunity. Like, if, if we're going to do a movie, it, this is the time for Marjorie to direct. I mean, uh, give you some Marjorie's background. I'm, I'm jumping around here a little bit. She's no, a, that's okay. You, you, you must be reading my questions because that was going to be my next question. So you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so she's an entertainment lawyer. She's got a law degree, business degree. She got a, a writing, I want to say writing degree. I think it's a writing certificate from UCLA. Uh, she knows how to do things. And, you know, she writes and she writes fast. So this 4% thing came out and Marjorie just really jumped on the script. She had the idea. I'm I'm not sure about how long it took her to form the idea, but she wrote the script fast. But I think she started writing somewhere in spring of 2019. We were shooting in mid-summer of 2019. And it's like we were in, we were in a rush because I had, I was, uh, going back to my staff job for the most part, which is in multi-camera productions. And it's like, I, I can't give that up without knowing how the freelance world is going to be for film. So it's like, I'm, I'm just opposing that. So we rushed production. Post-production took a little longer, but uh, I, I think I veered off the question. No, that's where, okay. Because um, as far as the shooting schedule, so how many, how many days of shooting did you guys do? Uh, we originally scheduled for 12. We ended up doing 14. Wow. And how many pages was the script? The script was 92. There's there's a wow. little kick there, too. You know, it's we wanted to maximize our filming experience. Marjorie wrote two separate scripts. We're okay. tying in, like, having similar characters, a similar storyline. But, you know, if the monster didn't work out, we were going to go with a psychological thriller. Like the the alcoholic mother is imagining things like, so it's like it could go either way, and we were shooting both both scripts. We did run out of time for a psychological thriller, but I mean, there's only like maybe two three days at most that we would need to do to finish that, and, and we'll see how this one turns out. Wow, that's incredible! And then for your post for your post schedule, how, how many days or how many weeks? For well, that? we had a. I, I had an editor. We did. We both did a couple short films, and my last editor um, started, you know, started working on it. And then he got picked up for two um, two TV shows in post production. You know, it's like 
a low budget movie. You know, it's like, like we were working on a deal, but you know, it's like having cash, cash in hand. You're going to go for the fast money, bigger money. You know, working on a network TV show. So I lost my editor. Losing an editor, I, I sort of sat on the film for a few months and, and went out and bought my own post production equipment without, without cutting a film. And I've never cut a film before, but I did work local news editing. So I, I knew I had, you know, some knowledge of editing, but it's like, it took me, you know, a good couple months to really hone it in and to really learn the system. And uh, so, when COVID hit, you know, that's where I really ramped up. I thought I was nearly done with this film. I did not understand how much work goes into post-production. So, and it's like, I, post-production took, you know, a good four or five months. And it's even now I sit there tweaking it day after day. I'll just go back and tweak this little things here and there. I'm sure it's one of those things where you just, you're always trying to make it better, tighter, adding something. Yeah, I'm sure. And and then you also served as the DP of the film. Was that uh, first choice or was that something, again, where uh, somebody couldn't do it? You know, it's, a, it's another funny story. You know, it's my background. I, I did work as a news photographer and I cut my own stuff back when I was just out of college. But my last short film, it was like, uh, you know, it's, I had all volunteers as crew it was, uh, for some, you know, competition. My cameraman didn't show up. So we were sort of like... Uh, behind the eight ball on that one. He had a friend with a camera, but they had another gig to go to. So it was like the camera, that camera person showed up, started shooting some of it. And it's like when they were packing the bank to go, I just grabbed this camera and started finishing the rest of the film. And if I didn't do that, you know, grab the camera and shoot some fast stuff, we wouldn't have had a film at all. So knowing that I could handle the camera again sort of led me to the idea that the cut the you know, condense the crew so we don't have a large crew coming through. I do some of the heavy work myself. So it's like, not that I, not, I could do it, I didn't want to do it. Yeah, kind of. But, uh, yeah. You know, uh, well, what's great is that you have that experience, though, being out and about. And it's one of those things, I think, for young filmmakers listening to this or people who are thinking about getting into the film business, it's these experiences that you have early on where it's like you have to just make things happen because you don't have either enough money or you don't have enough crew or somebody gets sick. And it's like, OK, well, yeah. we have no we have no time. We have to make this happen. So somebody pick up a light, somebody pick up a camera and let's go and do this thing. Marjorie. This is your first feature film. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. So how did you prepare for this undertaking, knowing that you have a 14-day schedule, 94 pages? Uh, that's like six and a half pages, I think, a day, which that's a lot of pages to shoot in a day. So tell me, how, how did you get yourself prepared for this? You know, realistically, you try to do as much pre-production as possible. And we had this beautiful location. It was the historic Harris house, which is a, a beautiful Victorian house. And, you know, you tried to prepare for everything, but once you're on set, you realize a lot of different things. There were actually a lot of weird mirrors in the scenes that we had to kind of go around. So I feel sometimes as much as you prepare ahead of time, and again, we finished the script June 1st, we were shooting end of July. So we were, go, 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 get it done. So I think preparing ahead of time, you do as much as you can, but once you get to location, you have to be flexible. We had to rewrite scenes. We had to change things. We had wonderful crew, wonderful actors, just 
really amazing people who put a lot of time, energy, and effort into making the film and were flexible because we were working with kids too and that changes schedules. So, you know, we were really blessed to have a really good team. So, you know, in terms of preparation, we tried to do as much as we could other time, but you know, the reality of any filmmaking is once you get on set, everything kind of changes. Oh, yes. Yeah, I, <laughs> Go ahead, Paul. Sorry. You mentioned the mirrors. There are mirrors all over this place. And not just flat mirrors. They were curved mirrors. So it doesn't matter where you were shooting. If any crew was in any particular angle, they would be seen. So, I mean, I, that was a nightmare shooting it. Uh, in post-production, I am surprised, absolutely surprised, that we did not get any any reflections. Or there is one one particular angle, there was a boom shot in, in the mirror, and I was able to, you know, digitally remove that. But for everything we've done in the film, there was just that one, and not even like boom shadows. It was just the boom was in a mirror. Wow. So. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, that's just just once. That's amazing. I mean, that's a testament to, to you guys and the crew. Um, yeah. It, it really, yeah, that's amazing. Um, now, the two of you uh, make up some... Uh, pretty major pieces of the puzzle in this movie. So uh, producing, directing, DPing, editor. Uh, that means a lot of collaboration over a lot of long hours. So how did the two of you prepare for that? I think we've worked on other projects before. So again, does communication key? Does it always work? No, there's always going to be disagreements when you're actually on set. So... I think at the end of the day, we were just both very driven that, you know, we need to move things forward. So we can agree to disagree and get both shots or get the best shot we can. But when you're doing low budget independent, you realize how flexible you have to be to get things done. And I think both of us really like stretched our flexibility to get things done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like we we worked together on a couple of small films. That, you know, sort of like just to test what it what it would be like. They were basically, you know, two two small films, small crew, sort of like this, and we we were able to, you know, just work together in the same. Oh, we, oh I forgot about the TV pilot. We did the TV pilot together, um, and that was a grueling. It was a grueling four days. We did uh, two small films. But that, that's where we really learned to work with each other, even though we've known each we, we went to high school together. So it's... Well, it was only, it was only a few years ago, Paul. It was only a couple of years ago, wasn't yeah, that? <laughs> well, for Marjorie, for Marjorie, it was uh, uh, like, I think, five years ago. But for me, it was like 20. So, <laughs> um, so you know, it's, it's working together, it does help to know the people you're working with. I mean, it's... It becomes your crew becomes family. So knowing how people work is key to making a production go well, or dealing with people's. You know, I don't want to say we we didn't have really many issues on this thing, but you know, if somebody's having a bad day, you know how to deal with it. Um, so, but you know, as a producer, I could not. It, it drove me mad that we couldn't go faster. You know, it's like it was a single <laughs> camera shoot that yeah. if we had two cameras, it was better. But it's like, yeah, it, you know, Marjorie took the lead. You know, it's like and and. She knew the time crunch we were in on everything, so it's like she tweaked the script to the location of what we had and what we needed. But it was really a testament to Marjorie on this whole production. Wow, Marjorie, did you um, ever find yourself going in one day and going, "Okay, I have 
whatever, let's just say, you know, 25 shots that we want, that I have to get today. And then all of a sudden, as the day's going on, you know, you're like, well, I have eight more to go, but I really have to do this in two. Have you ever find, ever find yourself in those moments where you just have to start combining stuff and just start, you know, as, as the clock is ticking, you kind of have to condense and uh, compromise it all? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we were cutting scenes, and luckily, because I had been the writer, I knew the script inside and out, and I was like, okay, we can cut this scene because it's not going to affect the outcome. And so that, I, I at least could have that flexibility where often if you take somebody else's script, you know, you have to consult with them, et cetera. So I'd be up rewriting till like 3 a.m., get back up at 7 to go on, on set, and we did cut a scene, which was one of my favorite scenes. And then I was like, we had a little more time one day. And I was like, no, I really want this scene. And it's, it's a beautiful scene between uh, Tammy Bird, who plays the police officer and the young boy. And it just turned out so wonderfully well. And she didn't want it cut. I didn't want it cut. And we made it happen. And it still is, I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about it. It was just such a great scene. So you know, luckily we were able to get most of the scenes that we really loved in the film. Yeah, It's always nice when you can get those back because it always feels like because you're racing it against the clock all the time that it's always about compromise and losing stuff. So to gain something back, I'm sure was very rewarding. And I have to say, you know, we we got some killer actors in this thing. Uh, Obviously, you know, Willie Ames. uh, you must have heard of Willie Ames. Oh yeah, of course. Not. I mean, I, I could still, I still see him when I hear his name. I still see him from the Eight Is Enough Charles in Charge days. Yeah. And because he was a child actor, he worked. I mean, he he spoke with Riker, and you know, sort of like this uh, bonding experience was it, it was incredible. I mean, they don't have many scenes together in a film, but you know, personally, all set. You know, it's like it was great. Um, I, there, you know, we got Emmy Award winning Kim Estes in there. We got Wayne Wilderson, Bob Clindenden. I, I hope I'm not butchering his name, but it's like two, it, Wayne and Bob are two classic character actors who've never worked together. And the funny thing is, Bob was saying, um, it's like he ran into Wayne on a on an audition. He's like, "Hey, I think we're working together this summer." It was like it was kind of funny to hear them talk about it. Nice. Yeah. How, how did you end up getting them, by the way? We met both, Marjorie and I both met Bob at. Uh, Carney. The Carney Awards, which um, is named after Art Carney. It awards character actors, so people who've played character actors and really bought, brought their characters to life. So you meet a lot of people that are like highly recognizable character actors, and we had met Bob there, who was just amazing. And then Wayne, we reached out to Wayne. and Yeah, you know, it's, I know Wayne, Wayne was in Veep, but it's like, I... I I somehow I knew him as Purple Grapes in the Fruit of the Loom commercial. So it's like, <laughs> That's right. He has much speaking role than as that, but it's like he's he's a a classic. Yeah, he, I see him all over the place, and it's like I just had to reach out to him. I mean, um, it was nice seeing them the in the trailer. <laughs> it was yeah. great. It was just like, oh wow. <laughs> yeah, they they were very fun to work with. So, Marjorie, tell me about uh, getting uh, Billy uh, Prophet to play the mom. H- how did you How did you wind up casting her in the film? I, I had actually known Billy for a couple of years, and she had done a lot of acting when she was younger, and just really, I think, brought a lot to the part. She's a quite talented, and I think that um, you know she had a lot of lines to learn. She was very like 
you know, driven to make it happen. I think her reactions and her emotions and how she portrays, like, a, a woman who's slowly devolving into alcoholism was just brilliant. So we were really lucky to have her. Yeah, no, she was great. She was great. So, and as the director, um, how much in this situation with her and her character, how much of this, because obviously you're not only the director, you're the writer of it. Um, how much did you get involved with her when it came to portraying it? Uh, or was it one of those things where you gave her the material, she went off, did her preparation, came back and said, okay, I'm ready. And you just kind of let her do her thing. I think, you know, there's a combination. Like I always like to be very collaborative as a director, because I think, you know, when you bring talented actors, to, to assess, they often have new ideas and different different ideas. So I really like to be collaborative with the actors and like have them pull those real life emotions to make the scene. So I think it was very collaborative. Um, one great example is like Willie Ames came and he had like this small bit part, but he came with all these ideas and it actually made it even a creepier part and even more involved part. And so he actually ended up coming back a, another day to film more. So I really like when actors come to set and they've really thought through their characters because it gives you so much more to work with, so much, so much so many deeper levels. So I really think, you know, filmmaking is just such a collaboration. So I really love actors who are collaborative. Yeah, it's a, Willie was awesome because, you know, the character, the level of character he brought to this thing, you know, was, uh, you know, we had to add more. I mean, it's like he added so much to the character, but it's like Marjorie specifically wrote in something at the, I don't want to give anything away, but, you know, Willie is key to this film. And then um, we've talked about Riker. It's his first film. It's his film debut. So how was the experience for him? I think the experience um, is so interesting working with child actors because I think in his head what he thought the experience would be versus, you know, long hours on set can be, like, not as much fun as one would think. But I think he was a real trooper. Um, you know, and I think there's good days with kids, bad days with kids. So I think overall you know he enjoyed the experience i think you know and it's a learning experience it's like movie sets everybody's like oh it's so glamorous and fun but you know you've you've been on sets you've been in tv it's like no it's like 14 hour days and it takes a long time to do a three minute scene <laughs> so um i think he was super it's all about the glamour it's a, it's a glamorous business it's all red carpets all the time and you know champagne <laughs> yeah. flowing and paparazzi taking photos it's just great <laughs> nobody wants to talk about the other side where it's like like you're just saying 14 hour days on set in a house i'm sure it was very hot in there with the lights and the crew and you know it it, it can get rough that's for sure <laughs> you, you, know, it's, you know it's it's always rough in the moment like those long days yeah you're beat up at the end you look back on the experience it is that that's the best part about it is remembering everything you did it's like oh i remember that day it's like you know it's like this it's it's an experience and it's like you know it's, it's not always fun in the moment but you know you look back on it it is definitely a, a memory you know for you know for us it's a positive memory i know that but uh you know i love production i oh, yeah. love production yeah it is it is a a bonding experience and certainly you know when you work with people over a period of time there is that family um and it, yeah it, it is it's like you have the stories you have the memories you have the experience 
And uh, it's amazing uh, how much, you know, a little bit can go a long way. Talking about the uh, scorpions, so you use practical scorpions. Um, how much of the monsters were practical? How much of it was CG? And as far as the budget goes for CG, how much was enough before you start going, oh man, we're putting a lot of money, most of our money is going to CG? I think a lot of ours were practical. We had, we had met with some great CG houses, and I think at the end of the day, like, a CG budget is huge and can be huge. So that's why we ended up going practical. And we had a wonderful arachnid handle, handler, um, Diana Terranova, who's amazing. She's very well known. And so a lot of them are practical. You know, we did a lot of green screen scorpions, a lot of close up with like super lenses, um, then a lot of. You know, some CG posts, obviously, for size, extract, but we tried to keep it as, as close to, because we, sometimes with CG, the challenge is that, like, insects don't move the way that they move. It's very hard or to have, like, you know, the little tiny details. So we tried to keep as practical as possible and then use the CG to kind of enhance. I, I'm, yeah. I'm a bigger fan of, of practical. I, I, that's my world that I that I come from from movies. I would rather watch something practical, even if even if it looks fake in some movies. I'd rather have it practical than CG. It, it, you're right; it does. Creatures, animals move move much different practically versus uh, CG. That's for sure. Especially like if you watch a lot of these shark movies, where these sharks move, and you're kind of like. What? I've never seen a shark yeah. do that before. <laughs> and then, and then meanwhile, here comes good old Bruce from Jaws. And it's like, yeah, it looks, it looks, you know, it looks like it was built, but at the same time, that thing was scary as hell. <laughs> I mean, as far as shooting, I'm sure too, it was probably a lot easier for you as well, because this way you have a practical, it's a practical effect. So it's there, you're seeing it in camera. Uh, I'm sure for for you, Marjorie, it's probably, a, well, actually for you too, Paul, as the DP, I'm sure it was a whole lot simpler doing it that way. Yes and no. Um, you know, so we were so rushed in pre-production, we didn't have time to really make a um, a, a prop monster, uh, and we, we did investigate the the CG side of things. But you know, it's, the the prices we were getting, I, I saved the production a million dollars. You know, but, yeah, uh, I believe the, it. But having a live the live creature. You can't control what it's going to do. So it's like, because I was shooting it, I knew the shots we needed and kind of what we, I needed the creature to do. Um, it, it really did help, you know, because I think we didn't bring the creature until uh, like nine days into the shoot, 10 days yeah. into the shoot, something like that, where it's like, it was like brought in at the very end. And I knew exactly what I needed the creature to do. Um, like there's a, sheet, a, a scene where it's getting pushed back by the by a door and it's like the, I got the creature sort of coming forward and backing up and going forward again. So it's like it, it it moved like it was in the scene. That's always nice. So Diana, the creature handler, she did the Billie Eilish um, video with a uh, "You Should See Me in a Crown." Remember that? Do you, do you know familiar with that? Uh, that I I've only seen one of Billie Eilish's videos, and I couldn't even tell you the name. Okay. Of it. Well, the, the, <laughs> Sorry. The, the in, musically. <laughs> We, we got Hannah Kinkle, uh, a very young artist that sounds very similar uh, as, you know, we got one of her songs on the, on the soundtrack. I am familiar with her. 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, I'm, I'm very excited about that. It's like, um, I, I know her father very well and basically, you know, we talk all the time and it's, it's, it's an honor for us to have Hannah on this. So she has a really uh, good voice. I, I, yeah, she really does. I mean, Obviously, you know, we're just using the song in our movie, but I mean, she is an incredible artist. I know what you mean, because I've heard some of her songs. I mean, she's very talented. Yeah. You know, I I sort of want to tie that into, you know, it's like we talked to some big people in Hollywood and it's like all their advice was go do it. Make the movie. It's like when I made the movie or we made the movie, it's like we, we included everybody we knew. And it's like it was just getting the gang together. So it was like, it was a fun experience. Everybody on this film, we had some tie in. Um, uh, I worked with Liam Attridge, but we both worked with Liam Attridge on the, the TV pilot I was mentioning earlier. Uh, and we got to, so she, he, he was with a, this, this, who is it, Stella at the Savage, the Savage yeah. Agency. Uh, so I called his, his agent up and it's like, it was just seeing if he was available and whatever. And it's like, we had a role open for a young girl. And it's like, so we got Ruby Pedrosa for a film. And just to tie things in to how small this world is, um, Ruby, uh, Kim Estes, Liam, but Liam, myself, and Marjorie had a film at the Hollywood, uh, the Holly Shorts Film Festival last year. Um, Kim Estes was in a separate movie at the same festival. Uh, Ruby was in a, another movie at the same festival. And it was like, it, it's just amazing how small this world is on how close these actors are to each other and when you're working in film it is Hollywood is huge but it's you run in small circles I mean everybody seems to know each other it is a small industry that's for sure it seems it's true because like you all of a sudden you can meet a complete stranger and they know five people that you know it's it's very strange Um, so now that the film is done it's edited it's good to go uh, unless, of course, you're going to go back and tinker with us some more, Paul. <laughs> um, so now you guys are looking for distributors, um, and then uh, you're also going to be getting this into festivals. So tell tell everybody out there who wants to see the film uh, what festivals to start looking out for. So we are waiting to hear back from festivals. So uh, right now, you know, we'll know mid-September. Yeah, um, you know, it's... Uh... All the festivals. So that, that will be, I guess, to be updated. But um, yeah, you know, I, I, you've been getting good feedback from festival directors. They, so. They've been they've been contacting us to get us in, and it's like we we want the best one for this film, and you know, it's like we're we're hoping for a Hollywood premiere. Uh, obviously, yeah, it's 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 COVID, you know, because of COVID, <laughs> there might not yeah. be a theater. I was gonna say, yeah, <laughs> that might be a little tough in this in this current climate. But there, there, there's a, there's really a small handful that we we have our you know, are really gunning for, um, the, and they're all big horror festivals. So, and, but, you know, I mean, talk to me about how as an independent filmmaker, getting your product out there. So it's like, it's one thing to put, get, you know, get the budget together, do your film, shoot it, put it together. Well, I mean, what, what is the effort when you now have this completed product? What is the first steps that you guys did when it's like, okay, the movie's done. We're going to go, and do what with it? How, how, how did you plot your, uh, your next phase of getting this movie distributed? Well, I think, you know, because we just finished very recently. So, um, obviously film festivals, we think that that's important for the good buzz. And then we've reached out to, you know, some big distributors I'd worked with in the past that have really given us a lot of feedback of where, where, where our films should belong because we're not a big budget, a list. 
and, you know, distributors, it's changing the market even like six months ago is a little different than it is now. So we've kind of had to re-navigate that distribution spot. So, you know, we've talked to some good people, but it's still, we're still at the very beginning of that process. Yeah. Is it, is it, has COVID kind of just reared its ugly head in, in, in the distribution side as well as everywhere else in the world with everything? Yeah. You know, we've, we've gotten like mixed reviews. We've gotten like, oh, well, you know, the content pipe hasn't dried up yet, you know, because there was a lot of things in post-production or, you know, people are really hungry for different types of content. So we have literally gotten every opinion across the board. So it's been kind of interesting. And, you know, I, I you know, have had a background working in film, et cetera. I love like film festivals because you go and you meet people in person and you have that like, hey, rapport and they see your film and you can get people excited. It's so much different to generate that buzz online when you can't talk to people and get them excited and they feel the crowd really, you know, rooting for your heroine. So it, it, it's an interesting process that it had to kind of change our strategy because of COVID. So as uh, you're wrapping up this and getting distribution going on this, uh, I read that uh, you're now currently in pre-production for your next film. So what can you tell us about that? Um, or is it a secret? <laughs> well, we have two films coming up. We do have a short film coming up that we're going to be shooting next month, which is more of a dramatic film. It's a period piece. It's a period piece, dramatic film. It's going to be shot in upstate New York. Um, so I, I'm not sure how much I can talk about it. Yeah. So, um, and we have another horror film that we had hoped to shoot over the summer originally, but because of COVID and the issues that, and that's um, back in the horror genre, a little bit more campy fun horror. So we'll absolutely tell you more about that when we can. Yeah. You know, I, I do, we want to start production on it right away, but it's like it's seeing how the COVID thing sort of pans out with all the other, you know, productions just starting up really and sure. how they're doing things. Yeah. Yeah. It's a slow, it's a slow startup out there. Um, so Marjorie, uh, you're also a writer. You, um, had a short story that you wrote that is in the, uh, anthology book, uh, a scream in the night, uh, which is, uh, 13 stories written by women. And it was compiled. This is crazy by a really good friend of the show, Randy Young from Last Story Productions, uh, published by uh, a black bed sheet. So um, tell us, what, what's, what's this short that you wrote? Um, well, first of all, I want to say Rena is amazing, as is Maureen Whalen, who got me involved in this project. So a lot of credit to them for pulling together these amazing women writers. And the book is now available on Amazon as of about a week ago. Um, my, my story is called the Hello Motel, and it's about a woman who is struggling with drug addiction and kind of reliving her life in her dying moment. So, and it is a very redemptive story, and, but also very just how women struggle with, and I guess, you know, it, it's interesting that it's another story about addiction, but I think that people have these traumatic events that happen in their life that they never deal with. So this is, you know, this woman who's never dealt with her traumatic past. And then she has the ability to help somebody else in her kind of dying moment. So it's a interesting tale, kind of a, a, a tale of what's actually, it's one of those what's going on, what's like momentum 
moments so you're like what's going on what's going on and then at the end you're like oh okay now i get it okay well um yes as you said it is available on amazon um, and of course, uh, Raina, the queen of Bay Area horror, looking forward to having her back on yeah. the show sometime soon. Yeah, that was just crazy when I saw that. I was like, what, what are the odds of that? Talk about, again, small world, Paul, <laughs> small world. Um, yeah. Let's get promotion out there for the film. So Bottle Monsters, the movie, uh, start plugging away. Social media, where can people find uh, trailers, uh, social media stuff, fire off? Well, it's the... the we're, you know, I'm basically new to all this, but, uh, you know, uh, right now we got a, the Facebook page, uh, Bottle Monster, uh, Twitter, it's Bottle Monster. Uh, apparently the name was too long, so I had to cut one of the letters, so it's about Bottle Monster. O-C-T-L-E-M-O-N-T-R for Twitter. Yeah, it's missing the last E. Gotcha. Bottle monster, you, you won't be able to miss it. Uh, you know, it's like we we haven't put a this, we haven't released a trailer yet because the uh, the trailer you saw was for a distributor and it didn't show more of the monster than we really want to really show the home audience. So we wanted to be you know uh, suspense or the you know wondering what what is it in for the audience. And it's you know and a shout out to Robert Trailer Den who did a great job on our trailer. Yeah. He, he did an amazing job. Yeah, those those um, the, the two that I saw were great. Yeah, so social media, you know, it's, it, we're on Facebook, it's on Twitter, it's on uh, Instagram, Pinterest, and, uh, is it Pinterest? I don't know. Um, but you know, it's like bottom up. And then follow it on IMDb because we're keeping that up to date. Yeah, Excellent. you know, it's a, you know, Social media, social media is a pain in the ass, and that's why I don't have it for for this show. Because I think my head would explode if I had to do social media every day for this show. On top of trying to do this show, on top of trying to have a life, (laughs) it would just never work. But I'll tell you this: you know, just having you know the Facebook page or Twitter page. Uh, any news coming out will be going to that, and it's it's a great way to keep on top of uh, you know the actors. I, anytime the actors are doing stuff, I'll put it on there as well. Uh, even the crew people, we got we had some of the best crew people uh, on this film too. So uh, I mean, if I can give a shout out, to a, a couple of them, like uh, Brian Binkley, who it, he was essential for all the logistics, an associate producer who, who did almost everything. You can get your you know, hands on there. Uh, Gabe, James, James Delulo, uh, who acted in this, you know, he gave an extra hand on production. Uh, my, my nephew, Zach Obracker, who was incredible, you know, helping out on various occasions. Um, I even mentioned the uh, speeding ticket. No, parking ticket? No, what is it? He ran a couple stop signs <laughs> with my car, you know, going to and from set. Anyways. Were you um, speeding? You, now, now, Paul. <laughs> no, no. I, I think he was going through uh, one of the small uh, Mulholland Pass things, and it's like there's a stop sign where it's like you know the California Rolling Stop. He just didn't stop, and they had a camera. So two weeks after filming's done, I get a couple you know ticks in the mail. Been there. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 who did I miss? I, I there's you know you know the award shows. Should we just roll the credits? <laughs> I can I can start rolling the credits here. <laughs> just yeah, name yeah. by name by name right down the list. I mean, it's just uh, you know it's, it's, once again it's 
you know, you talk about, you know, uh, distribution and film festivals. The, the only thing I want people to see this movie is for all the great people who worked on it. We, uh, you know, it's like um, giving people chances of, you know, elevating the rank. Um, one of the other associate producers, uh, Gabe, you know, he, he's an audio guy. And it's like he wanted to come in as an associate producer. And it's like he, he was incredible. Uh, we got uh, uh, Tracy Dew and Ariana Garcia in our makeup department. Uh, I pulled... Who was it, Grace uh, Blumen, Blumenstein? Blumenstein. I, did I, I didn't butcher her name, did I? It's okay, Paul. It's all right. She, she was in wardrobe, and it's like, you know, it's uh, she moved down here from Seattle to go to fashion school, oh. and uh, you know, it's like, uh, just she was still in school as a, you know, in fashion. It's like, hey, do you want to do wardrobe? This is her first feature film, and it's like she did an incredible job. You know, because it's like yeah, any character you'd be wearing, you know, any kind of clothes. But we had, you know, uniform police officers in this thing. I mean, it, it looks authentic. Everything she put together. Well, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of independent, you know, filmmaking. Whether it's in horror or yeah. drama, you you get an opportunity to do things that you normally wouldn't do, and and people get to step up. Like you're saying, students get to come down and work on a film, and next thing you know, it's like I want to be a makeup artist. Well, okay, well here you go. Here's your opportunity. Um, yeah. It really is awesome. I mean, it's, it's an opportunity to, you know, do something that no one has given you a chance to. And it's like, you, you know, it's like there's the fear of failure. You know, you can't fail. Everybody's going to be there to support you. So you got to believe in yourself and, you know, just do the best job you can. Well, with that, I will uh, say the movie is Bottle Monster. You just heard from the writer, director, producer, Marjorie DeHay, as well as the producer, DP, editor, Paul Overacker. Uh, thank you for coming on the program. This was really great, and uh, we certainly wish you guys all the best with your film. Please uh, keep us posted on what's going on with the film so I can uh, pass along to uh, all listeners out there. But thank you again for coming inside the graveyard. Well, thank you so much for having us in the graveyard. It's been one of our most pleasant experiences in a graveyard. All right, and as I put this interview to rest, I wanted to just mention uh, Paul had reached out and he said that he forgot to mention uh, one other crew member. And he asked if I could do that for him, and I said no. <laughs> of course, of course I will. Um, Tony uh, Dillastone, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Tony Dillastone, he's the AD on the film. And, uh, you know, we have a uh, fondness for ADs here inside the graveyard. It is a hard job to do, my friends. Uh, first AD, second, 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 running set, running base camp, uh, getting information out to the crew, uh, talk about being in the eye of the storm. So, uh, Tony, well done. And, um, you can blame Paul for not being mentioned. <laughs> just kidding, Paul. I'm just kidding. Um, but I, I do want to thank Marjorie and Paul for being on the program. Uh, how ironic that Marjorie uh, knows Raina and Raina knows me. And very quickly, um, the previous podcast, I had my first original interview uh, with Jay Cheel. That was not the original plan. I was originally going to upload my first interview with Raina Young. She'd been on the show three times back in the day. And um, things just kind of happened and changed very quickly. And it's just weird. So... She will be on here soon. I just have to reach out to her. But of course, Rain, if you're listening, let's uh, let's connect down the road. It'd be great to have you back on the program. Quickly, want to mention. So here in Los Angeles, uh, we have uh, the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, and during the spring summer, they uh, show movies in the cemetery. 
and they project them alongside one of the walls of the building. And it's a whole big event. People uh, go to Trader Joe's, they buy, you know, their food there and their uh, wine and they put picnic baskets together. They get those funny smelling cigarettes. Uh, you know, you know, the, you know what I'm talking about. And people show up and they, they sit outside and there's a DJ playing and leading into the movie. And it's a whole, it's a whole event. It's very, very cool. It's quite a unique experience. Well, obviously with everything going on with COVID, that's not happening right now, but you actually can watch these films uh, if you have Amazon Prime streaming. So I'm going to tell you where you can go. It is, uh, I always pronounce this wrong, but I think the correct pronunciation is Cinespia. I always say Cinespia, but it's Cinespia, C-I-N-E-S-P-I-A, Cinespia.org. So Cinespia.org. And if you go to their main website, there are tabs up top. You click on the one that says channel and channel will take you to another page and you'll see movies broken down by different categories uh classics thriller romance comedy horror music etc 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 so currently right now in the horror page they have uh, a couple of dario argento films uh opera uh, phenomena some george romero movies uh the crazies night of the living dead you have um ah midsummer and hereditary uh, Don't Look Now, the 78 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Hellraiser, Train to Busan, uh, Phantasm, Rosemary's Baby, just to name a few. There are a couple more on there as well. And if you click on those movies, it'll take you to the Amazon Prime streaming site. Just a little something to uh, give you a uh, faux LA experience. But I highly recommend if you live in LA and you haven't done it before, you should. And if you're ever visiting out in the City of Angels and... Uh, and it's uh, during this season, uh, you should definitely check it out. Get there early because it does sell out quickly. But uh, in the meantime, you can go online and uh, get a little idea of what uh, some of the movies are that are playing at uh, that play here at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. So at the top of the show, I mentioned uh, an independent filmmaker reached out to the program and um, he's going to be my guest on my next podcast. And the filmmaker's name is Alex Magana. Alex is a um, director, writer, uh, editor, cinematographer, kind of like what you heard just now on the podcast. So he's made a bunch of horror shorts, and you can find it on his YouTube site. It's ACM Official. A as in Alex, C as in Charlie, M as in Michael. ACM Official is his uh, YouTube page. And uh, the one movie that he's done has well over 2 million hits. It's called Smiling Woman. So you may want to check this out before my next show. And uh, he's a very, very talented filmmaker. All right. That's going to do it for me here. Um, Graveyard Show Podcast, obviously found on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor. You know where to go. YouTube channel is uh, Graveyard Show Podcast. Graveyard Show Podcast. And as always, it's nice having you joining me here inside the graveyard. And if you know any fans of horror, please send them this way. New listeners and friends are always welcome. Okay, that's going to do it for me here, my friends. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane. And in the meantime, as you exit the graveyard, I would like to remind you to please lock the gate behind you. We wouldn't want anyone to get out. Until next time.